Uh, hi, welcome to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. This is where Louisa and Beverly bring you the experts, the stories, and the research impacting the cybersecurity profession today. Now, Louisa, did you hear about the fact that Apple has increased their bug bounty? from 200k to a million dollars. I did hear that. Isn't that absolutely fantastic? And what an amazing incentive for security researchers. And I also saw that they've opened up um, the field to not just invited security researchers. I think also. that's fantastic. It's yeah. a great initiative. It is. Now, talking of researchers, I've been having a little look at the role they play in our industry and I learned a few key things that I wanted to share today. Oh, share it with us, Louisa. <laughs> well, first fact, our industry was actually founded from a research project in 1971. Uh, it was a guy by the name of Bob Thomas who decided to play around with a computer program to see if it could move across a network and leave a small trail where it went, wherever it went, sorry. And that was called the Creeper. So, um, and that was pre-internet days. So that was kind of interesting to learn that that's where our industry started. Then I had a look at what sorts of research we're doing in cybersecurity and I guess my observation was that there's not enough people-centric research going on. We heard from Jess Barker on an earlier show about that fascinating piece of research that she'd done with Palo Alto and there was around 10,000 people surveyed there about their attitudes um, and about trust in the digital age. But there's just, there's not enough out there and it's definitely an area we need to do more research in. And then lastly, I had a look at who's doing the research today. So we've got media organizations, we've got tech vendors, we've got consulting firms, we've got governments, and we've got academia doing research. And sometimes they are all working together, like the great example we have here in Australia, which is the Cybersecurity Cooperative Research Centre, led by Rachel Falk. Now, Beverly, talking of academia, we've got an academic in the cafe today, Beverly. I know. Very exciting. Uh, Professor Lizzie Coles-Camp from Royal Holloway University is joining us. I first met her about three years ago through Jody Siganto. They were doing some research about cybersecurity professionals and I took part in that. I think you'll be excited to hear about the interesting the work she's doing applying design thinking to cybersecurity. Sounds good, Beverly. Let's get on with the chat. Lizzie Coles-Cam, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we're so excited to have you on our, our Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. The first question that we ask absolutely everyone is how did you land in info security? Hello, Beverly. Lovely, lovely to be here. Um, so I, I actually uh, got into security because I speak Swedish. Uh, it's as simple as that, really. I was working, I came out of university. Uh, I had a degree in Scandinavian studies linguistics. And uh, I picked up a job uh, working in a Unix software house that had a Unix version of Office. And the Swedish military came to visit that software house and said they wanted a secure version of that software. So as a result, I was brought into the team that was was involved in that. And that's how I got into security. That was in 1990. And I've been involved in security 
ever since. Um, and, and so that's really holding for you. I think but, the fact that it, you know what, these are really knotty problems. They're, 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 they're really, really knotty problems. And that, and no two security problems are the same. And, and I, and so when you go to work, it was really interesting because it, it, for me, every day was different. And the kinds of interactions that you have with people are different, but also it's, there are also problems that involve lots of different types of problem solving skills, but also lots of communication and interaction. And so they're technical, they're social, they're challenging, and they're always different. And, you know, what's not to like about that? Yeah, we were reading recently the 10 things, the 10 attributes that you must have to be suited to cybersecurity. Yeah. And and you're absolutely, I love your expression about, you know, naughty. You really yeah. do need that desire to want to unpack problems and deal with problems. Yeah. But it basically said, you know, if you weren't a problem solver and you you didn't, um, you were happy that you never solved the ongoing problem, yeah. um, that you didn't like dealing with difficult people because you needed really good communication skills. So you've really covered all of that. So yeah. what is it, so apart from, you know, the background around that, so what does it really hold for you now? You know, I know that design thinking is something that you look at to solve cybersecurity problems. Can you really... Elaborate on all of that for us. Uh, sure, I think I think I think one of what I wanted to pick up though before we go into that is that, that I know that that Acer has done a work looking at the Australian Information Security Association has done work looking at, at backgrounds, and so too has the National Cyber Security Centre in the UK with its piece on origins. And I think the other thing that that is is also great about this is that there's a lot of diversity. People think of security people as being just technologists, but actually the security, the technical security community is a diverse group in terms of people coming from all sorts of different pathways. And um, I think that's also one of the other things that I think is I- I- important about this area, which then leads us into why I think it, it, it lends itself very well to design work. The sort of work that we do with that is to take Again, it's part of that diversity piece is that we, we, we work with sort of what we call sometimes design thinking tools. So anthropologically informed ways of exploring and thinking about the world. And, and really we use those, those different ways of thinking, whether it's storytelling, whether it's getting people to, to think through using different medium. It might be Lego. It might be storyboarding. It might be, it might be, um, sort of different types of, of physical modeling, physical ways of representing security to play and think through all the different things that contribute to a secure interaction. So really shining a light on all the nooks and crannies, all the, all the things that, that might seem quite remote from somebody sitting at a computer or somebody speaking into some kind of technical device and, and actually finding ways to, to understand the connections. So which is why again, the diversity, I think is, is particularly important, bringing together different ways of thinking and seeing the problem. And, and that plays very much again to that broad, 
diversity point. That's exactly what we need in this profession is diversity of thought and yeah. diversity of thinking through these challenges. I watched your YouTube video that you made last year about um, digital security for all. And I loved yeah. this description about how you could flip a scenario on its head and you talked about the the physical security, you know, there's we're clocking into a building, so we've got a pass, yeah. where all these things that make us feel secure, but then potentially could be used yeah. in a very negative way. And yeah. um, I guess I wanted to talk to you about how do we relate that to if people haven't come across how to use design thinking before. So you've talked to us, talked to us a bit about here's some examples of what you could do. Mm -hmm. Have you got a story that could be really relatable that people could say, okay, that aha moment? So I think, so, so yes, we, we I get to a concrete example in a minute, but, but if we just sort of just come back to your point, I think it's, it's about asking the question, I think you alluded to this, asking the question from different angles, not only to ask, what could go wrong, but also to ask the fundamental question, which I don't think we do enough. Why does it work? How come information mm. does flow from A to B? How come we don't have disclosures and understanding what works as well as what doesn't work or what might potentially not work? And I think what design thinking enables us to do is, is, is challenge those two dimensions. But the other thing that design thinking really enables us to do is also to imagine different futures, to creatively think about ways to solve the problem. So let's now move to a, a concrete example. When we work, sometimes we, we, we work in all sorts of environments, but let's take working in a, in a, in an organization and they have problems with getting people to engage with security awareness and education training. The stats on people engaging with the, with, with this, with the program are really low. One route might be to just keep sending out the link to the training, the online training and awareness work. Another line might be to couple that with disciplinary action. If you, if, if you don't, uh, follow or don't engage with that training and awareness program, but people, Organizations tell us that it really doesn't get them very far. It doesn't get them the kind of, it doesn't get them the kind of adoption of security awareness training and also doesn't, doesn't feed through into any kind of behavior change. So a concrete way then of working is to go into those parts of the organization that don't engage and to really understand their everyday. What is their everyday? What, what sorts of problems are they experiencing? What are the challenges? What are the issues that concern them? Because these people won't just be sat around, not at all. They'll, 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 they'll be dealing with a different kind of reality that makes it hard for them to engage with security awareness and training that means they won't be getting much out of that program. So you've got to take a step back. And this type of creative engagement means you can take a step back, understand their everydays, understand their frustrations, understand their challenges, but also really importantly, understand what they do in their everyday to overcome security problems because people do the most extraordinarily creative things to, to, because to protect data, to keep data flowing, to, to make sure that the right data lands to the right people. 
And so to really understand what's happening there, and then security practitioners can start to to reshape both their engagement, the way they frame the messages, but also to to diversify again that word diversification, diversify what they what they see and understand and what they measure as security practice. I guess I'm really trying to understand how do we skill people up for that first phase so that they can go, okay, we're not going to give this to them. We're going to ask them about what's going on in their program that could create obstacles for them to engage with us. Is that the right question or is there a better question? That's a great question. So what we've done, uh, we work a lot in the the UK, we work a lot with the National Cybersecurity Centre and and that that comes out of uh, sort of the the, the government work. And and their their job, the centre's job in part, one of their jobs is to provide advice and guidance. So what we've done is we've worked with them to to contribute to their guidance program called U-Shape Security. And for that, what we did was we wrote a, a booklet set, which is exactly what you're talking about there, Beverly, which is a how-to guide. Mm. And what the way that, that, that we work at the moment, and I think it, it's Going to, I think it's the best way to look at scale is to is to work with facilitators so that people can go in and facilitate their own sessions and to to identify that there are four principles that you work with so that what we do is we get those facilitators to start with the fundamental question of describe describe a day last week when you had a security challenge that you was difficult to resolve, how far did you get in resolution? How did that make you feel? And what are the things that you wish you could do that you couldn't do on that occasion? Yeah. And that's, that's the pearls of wisdom there. Yeah. Yeah. And what we do, and, and okay, as one person, that's one story. You do that with, and we've done this with, 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 with hundreds of people. You know, we do that in, they work in small groups, but those is a different kind of scaling. And, and, and you can then roll out those small groups because they're self facilitated and in a very, very short space of time. So we're talking in hours. You bring in hundreds of stories. And then from those stories, you can start to map the patterns and you can start to see where in different parts of the organization, there are blockages, but also exactly as you say, where is the creative activity? Where's the creative engagement that's coming naturally up from the ground? Because that's what you want. You know, you don't want to go in and just impose everything because that's so much, that's effort you haven't got. What you really want to do is work with, not work against. And, and, and it's really about, and we've had this in information security for decades. You know, this is everybody's problem. You know, everybody has a responsibility. That's true. But equally, everybody has a common purpose. And it's about, mm-hmm. and, and the key to this, when you understand their every day, is the key to this is understanding what the benefit is of engaging with a process, engaging with a technology. Because people don't just look at, threats and protection isolated. They look at it in the context of the benefit that they're getting out of a service or a technology. And if they're not getting benefit from the service or the technology, that's a that's a security problem right there because what's in it for them then to engage with protection controls? 
So also what's really important in this, in this description is to really understand what's the benefit. And where there isn't a benefit, you've, you've really got to start back at understanding then that there are challenges with that service or with that system or with that technology and finding a way to, 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 to resolve that benefit gap. And I think it's really hard for some people to have a, their first attempt at this, but I think when yeah. when they do, they would realise that instead of us just applying our processes to them, we're actually yeah. understanding, as you said, what are their challenges and why is it hard for them to get on board and the what's in it yeah. for them with the things that we need them to do. So it's much deeper than just saying, go and engage with the business. Yeah. You know, go and talk to them about security. It's not enough, is it? It's just nowhere near enough. No. Um, but I think, but I think coming back to that point, I think this is where as a security community, we've been doing this, you know, we've been doing this for years. I think we can, I, I, I don't think it's a, a million miles away to, to, run facilitation workshops through our chapters, through our associations, through our supporting bodies in the way that the National Cybersecurity Centre has done in the UK. I think you can actually scale this capacity quite quickly at relatively low cost because these are all low fidelity engagements. You know, the, the cost of doing this is it's really, as you say, about actually connecting with people. This is back to the users are not the enemy. This is about working with yeah. and connecting with. It's not just working with, it's about connecting with, relating with, and then going forward together. Sorry. Yeah, so, yeah no, that's fantastic. If you think about um, a normal ISO, Information yeah. Security Organization, who is most likely to embrace, so we know that we've got, influence and trust or security mm -hmm. and awareness, you know, who's most likely to say, I want to embrace this and this is something that we really want to start facilitating? Do you see someone someone other than the size are really getting yeah. behind this? Yeah. So so this sort of thinking is actually a great way of bridging into other parts of the organization. One of the things that we discovered when we did the origins works, I talked about the, the work with uh, security practitioners that, that uh, we did here in the UK, and ASA did something similar. So a couple of years ago, uh, ASA did a number of different in, did interviews with a number of security practitioners. What we discovered in that work and, and in the, 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 the sister work that happened in, in the UK is that security practitioners do spend a terrific amount of time interacting and communicating. But often, and what we learned in our projects, is that the language that's used, the framing is really alien. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel normal. It's not the way that, that people outside the security community think about the world. And the really nice thing about the design tools is that this is a, this is a, a useful bridge into that, into the other worlds, if you like. So because it's not using specialist language, because it's about understanding the everyday, it is appealing to HR. It's appealing to uh, product designers. It depends on your organization. It's appealing as well to chief execs and boards because one of the big values 
is that it enables the board to understand what's going on on the shop floor, what's going on on the front line. And increasingly in the way that organizations are run, boards and senior management teams are increasingly distant from what's happening right out front facing. Mm -hmm. So actually one of the things that really surprises us that when we go in to do this in organizations, you know, we can do all sorts of sort of different types of analysis. We can do all sorts of types of mapping and we get told by senior um, management teams, no, we just want to understand what's going on. We want, we want those hundred stories so that we can start to see what's happening in our organization and where the blockages are, but also where the creativity is. It's really important to have, to keep, it's not just about the negative protection, it's also about the, the positive. We sometimes in security, in security theory, we talk about positive and negative security. Negative security is, is the work, it's all about protection, protection from harms, but also security is is always has been about being able to go out and do your work free from fear, free from being able just to get out there and create without having to, to worry about all the untoward things that, that might happen in this case with your data. That is just a brand new chapter for us really, isn't it? <laughs> to get, you know, oh, so refreshing. You know, it is about, and it's really interesting to hear that, you know, all these other stakeholders outside our point of reference or our frame of reference are really starting to embrace this creativity. And as you said, getting insights from what's really going on in these projects as organisations want to digitise everything in order yeah. to make that happen, they have to absolutely be dropped into that program, don't they? It, they really do need is. insights. Yeah, they do. But also I think the other thing about digitalization, so we do a lot of work in Sweden where they have what's called a advanced digitalization program in, in public service. And what's really interesting there when we use these narrative tools and these mapping tools is that to to really see that digitalization isn't just about, and I know you know this, Devly, it's not just about taking what we do sort of analog or offline and, and turning it into bits and bytes. It actually completely reshapes the space. Mm. So that, that actually the sorts of interactions we have, it frees up. It's not just one or the other. It frees up. Um, time. It changes where the processing happens. It, it changes how decisions are made, which also then frees up different types of spaces to have other types of interaction. And we can, you know, we can think about a world where we do have automated decision making on the back end for some things, but that frees up space to have all kinds of interactions, creative interactions in this space that, that, that's, that's, that's freed up so that we can really start to work with people to understand about their information flows, the benefits they get, and how we can protect those benefits but also encourage those benefits. Mm. And I think all through this conversation, it kind of leads to one, because we're almost going to have to wrap up shortly, is leads oh, no. to one real, <laughs> I know, I know. It is so lovely to talk to you again. The, I think the important thing is how do, how do we as a profession engage more with academia? We, you know, I know you personally and we've had Dr. Jessica Barker on, but you know, the reality is there still seems to be this, 
you, you're all doing such interesting work, but it doesn't seem to be coming through into our daily lives. Is there a way that you think we should embrace academia more by reaching out, by how do we do that? You know, I think that, that there's, I, I think there are lots of ways that, that we can do this in the sense that I think that we can work together. I think there are ways of working together not to look at um, sort of maintaining the past, but really to imagine different types of, of futures and to, to really explore that space. And I think that what we should encourage in our community, um, border security community, is sort of encourage this idea of, of design sprints, of, um, of, of design workshops, of, of design cafes that, that we can have in different spaces to, to work with people to build a much broader Vocabulary would be one way, but, but much broader and, and more creative toolkit for thinking about different types of security problems, different types of challenges from different perspectives and really broadening that output. And I think the only way we can do that is by working together. So I guess the one thing that I would really call for is more opportunities to to work together, not in solutioneering, because I think that that really locks out so many other avenues, but it, to work together to imagine different ways of, of responding to present and future security challenges. And we saw that, you know, it was such a brilliant thing. A couple of years ago, we had this thing here called, um, it's the, this is the UK it's a sort of security practice conference. Um, and we got 50 security practitioners in a room when we had Lego on each table and we gave them a, a problem. I think the problem we were working on was sort of how do you, how do you protect employee, how do you protect the data streams from employee monitoring in the workplace? And these groups worked on it together in Lego. They were, they were blended groups with, with different skill sets, uh, imagining what it would be like in a certain office scenario if there was, if there was, uh, employee monitoring and, and watching them come up with and debate and argue and come to sometimes agreement, sometimes disagreement over how to go forward. And I think these are the sorts of activities that, that would really spark new and interesting uh, academia and practice collaborations. I think that's so relatable, that example. And now I understand you're coming to Australia in September. Will I you, am. You're going to do a quick tour? What's the plan? I am. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm going to Sydney and uh, in September, so I come over to, to give a, a paper. And the, But then, I, I mean, I love Australia. Australia's been so good to me, always open, welcoming, and also, you know, really keen to embrace new ideas. And what I have to say, I really must say this before we finish, because I think Australia misses a trick in that you have such a fantastic capability around civil resilience. I look at the extraordinary work that you've done in terms of getting communities to work together around around bushfires, mm. uh, the work that you do around environmental security and on food security, and you've got such phenomenal design thinkers. I really think Australia could, it's really inspired me coming to Australia. I think you could lead the world in resilience thinking. Oh God, that would just be exceptional, wouldn't it? 
How do people get in contact with you, Lizzie? So I'm, I've given. I, I think you're going to post this with the with the podcast. I've given yep. some some links. Uh, you could always email me at uh, my Royal Holloway address. I'm at Royal mm-hmm. Holloway. Uh, Lizzie Coles Kemp is, is is I think the only Lizzie Coles Kemp in in Google. Yes. Um, so you will find me there. I am coming to Australia uh, in. I'll be there for nearly three weeks in in September. Um, and delighted to, to meet, but also delighted to, to have a chat over Skype because we've got we we do. I have a number of fabulous colleagues and friends in Australia who who are who are permanently based there now, and and you know. This is really a network that we that we'd love to a community that that we'd love to develop further, and it's the only way we're going to solve the problem, isn't it? With the community, with all of us helping people understand what they can contribute. Lizzie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Beverly, I thought that was absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for that interview and for bringing Lizzie into the cafe. Uh, I had a couple of, actually I had many takeaways, so it was actually <laughs> quite hard for me to distill them down to to the two that really stood out. But for me, the first one was that point about the the fact that Australia has such fantastic civil resilience and all the work that we've done around bushfire resilience or working as a community and food safety and some other areas that Lizzie mentioned and the fact that Australia has potential to lead the world in resilience thinking. So that's an exciting revelation from that chat. It is. We are very resilient as a nation. If you consider the natural disasters that we've encountered, um, we're very good at that problem solving. I think what we've got to be able to do is take the theory from the other experiences of natural disasters and apply them to cyber digital resilience. Yep, yep. We could really export that to the rest of the world, couldn't we? Absolutely, yeah. And then the other point, my second key point, was the way that Lizzie explained that need to help people understand the benefit of engaging with a particular security process or, or a technical control that we've put in place and that people don't just look at threats and protection in isolation. They need that context and that benefit. And where you have a gap where people aren't understanding the benefit of engaging in that process or technology, that's where you've got a challenge and you need to work hard to close that gap. So that was a really great point Mm. I took away from Lizzie. I love the piece where she mentioned that research you participated in, that fact that there was a lot of time being spent by cybersecurity or information security professionals talking and communicating with the business, but the challenge was the language that was being used was quite alien and didn't feel normal. And then Lizzie talking about how we could use design thinking as a method to help us bridge that gap that we might Mm. have. And as you said in the interview, you know, we can't just go and talk to the business. We've got to engage them and that's that's different and design thinking can help with that, which is great. I think uh, having listened to her and watch her evolve from those early days around talking about technology security, I mean, we all did that as well. I think we haven't shifted that lexicon 
you know, because it's still new for us, even if we've been doing it for quite a some time, to still talk about it in that way. And she breaks that. She gets us to unpack the problem differently and look at it from a different perspective. And uh, she's had some of our peers over the time get more involved in design thinking and they've come up with some brilliant ideas about how to approach it. I think we've just got to learn a little bit more about how to execute and I hope that in the chat with her we got down to how do you really start doing this rather than it still being an abstract idea that in theory sounds fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And and for me it's like the people sometimes turn their noses up at the concept of playing with Lego and and yes, Lego is a medium you can use to run these uh, sessions and it, it actually takes people away from their usual form of communication and comfort zone. So it's a, it's a good thing. Mm. There's other tools as well. So, uh, you know, she's, I think if anybody watches the YouTube video and starts to realize that using images and ideas about what people feel about security and we're not talking about corporations here. She's been working with disenfranchised groups that don't have access to technology. So how do they engage with digital security? What do they think about CCTV or what do they think about logging on and logging off? And, and how it could be perceived by some people as surveillance and negative. Look, I think that is probably all that we can say about it today. We'd love your feedback and um, any suggestions and ideas that you'd like to hear on the podcast. Thanks for joining us and speak to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and for more information, visit cybersecuritycafe.com.au and find us on Twitter at CyberSEC Cafe.